0: Are
1: you ready, eager young space cadets? I call a the limit! Where's the kaboom? There was supposed to be an earth shattering kaboom!
0: Hello and welcome to Of Course You Realize This Means Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Graves, and with me today is another Looney Tunes aficionado and a big fan of celebrity culture from the 40s, I would say.
1: I would say that that is completely fair. Okay. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And uh, he's the perfect guest to have on this episode where we are going to dive into Hollywood and the Looney Tunes. Welcome to the show, Matt Jacobs. Hello. Hello, how are you?
1: I'm fantastic. I'm really stoked. I've been loving the podcast so far. It seems like it's a lot of fun.
0: Thank you. Well, you're about to experience one for yourself and you can be the judge. Super. Uh, So in today's episode, we're, like I said, going to dive into Hollywood. This is going to uh, touch upon some classic shorts featuring Hollywood celebrities in caricature form. Uh, What are your favorite uh, caricatures you've seen in the Looney Tunes?
1: Well, based on the episodes we're going to be discussing tonight, I feel like Hollywood Steps Out stands out for just how well it compresses so many characters into so short a time. I think we're dealing with at least two dozen different distinctive personalities. But you have to love just Humphrey Bogart, the Marx Brothers, uh, James Cagney, so many of those old distinctive personalities. And what really stood out to me is not just the myriad designs and facial similarities between a bunch of these characters, but the amazing work that was done by just one or two voice actors to capture so many different cadences and voices and distinctive personalities. I mean, you go from Clark Gable to Cary Grant to James Cagney back to Humphrey Bogart, and they really don't miss a beat, Uh, you know, guys and girls alike.
0: Right, and Bing Crosby being the host of the whole gala. I mean, it's just everybody's there. Everyone is ready to celebrate some Hollywood event, which we're not even privy to. It's
1: a fantastic (laughs) way to tie the whole thing together. I think that having uh, Bing Crosby as the announcer... Just based on the amount of self-referential jokes he made with Bob Hope in the Road 2 movies. Sure. I mean, there are so many jokes about how Paramount's not going to let their characters die because then they'd have to cancel the franchise. <laughs> uh, and it's, yeah. Uh,
0: first off, a lot of you out there might be going, these were the shorts that I skipped over. These were the shorts that I didn't understand because... When we watched Looney Tunes, we were really young and we didn't have the knowledge of a lot of these celebrities. But now, as, I guess, cinephiles, uh, a lot of us have seen films with uh, Jimmy Stewart and and James Cagney and and now we're familiar, but I don't think we're ever going to be as familiar with these actors as when they were alive. So it's a weird uh weird time to go back and, and watch these.
1: Yeah, it is kind of a kind of a backwards journey that you get, uh, because coming up and, you know, watching cartoons in the nineties, you see all of these people and they're very obviously funny personalities and it's obvious that it's a satire of someone. Right. But clearly the kids watching that hadn't seen Casablanca or It Happened One Night or you know, any of the movies that had featured these iconic actors. I was actually very lucky when I was a kid because my parents showed me the Marx Brothers movies when I was a young enough kid to enjoy them on that pure, uh, you know, comedy level that you get from classic comedies like that. But clearly, it was always more in high school and in college when you go back and you actually watch the entire old Hollywood canon that you're able to appreciate the references and the inside jokes a little bit more, which is kind of convoluted for enjoying an animated short, but it's the sort of, you know, chestnut I am where I enjoy those kind of inside jokes a bit more.
0: Oh, of course. Uh, So we're gonna continue that conversation in just a bit, but first we're gonna take a look at the news and what Looney Tunes are currently out in uh, stores or museums today. And I have a fun one here. I found some really fun women's merchandise uh, at H&M. My wife and I were just browsing and we found some Looney Tunes Christmas sweaters. Uh, They have Tweety, Bugs, Daffy, and Taz on them. Uh, And I posted some pictures on our Instagram, which you can see on That Means Podcast. Uh, That's our Instagram handle. And there is also currently, for those in downtown or those that live in L.A., uh, in downtown L.A., there is an art installation by Gondek Draws. Uh, That's his uh, tag on Instagram. Um, You can see his uh, deconstructive art of these cherished characters uh, all the way up until January. I believe the exhibit uh, is at the Avenue Day Arts Gallery and it's open now until january 11th Uh, he also has a podcast and uh, it's called clean break uh, where he holds candid discussions with other artists about their work so i just wanted to give a shout out to those things because they might interest you dear listener as a looney tunes fan and you might want to check those out i definitely want to hit up the museum Uh, i've seen some of the pieces and they are phenomenal
1: Yeah, I've had a look through this guy's Instagram actually, and it's some really fantastic takes on these really iconic characters. And I kind of love the amount of different art that's out there these days that shows characters we all grew up in in these really weird sort of imaginings and situations. So definitely would recommend.
0: Yeah, uh, I agree. Um, So let's move right into Hollywood Steps Out. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You mugs
1: this job is plenty risky give me oh uh, shake was i don't know any of these modern steps here don't go away folks this ought to be good fantastic short it uh premiered i believe in 1941 which is the absolute pinnacle when it comes to the old warner studio system which is where so many of the featured celebrities made their bones That's true.
0: And they're not all Warner Brothers IPs that they're pulling from. Or like uh, in Hollywood, there were contracts with the actors and actresses of the time. And they are doing parodies of all of Hollywood across the board.
1: Yeah. And it was this very interesting time in uh, Hollywood culture in general where... The movie stars, even more so than today, which is kind of a crazy thing to think about, they were the reason that people went to the box office. There were diehard Dorothy L'Amour fans. There were diehard Humphrey Bogart fans. And so these people were instantly recognizable to the people of the day. And with that came a certain amount of license that you don't really see around as much these days. I mean, I always go to one of the best modern, well, semi-modern shows to parody celebrity culture, The Critic, uh, the famous uh, animated film starring John Lovitz from the 90s. (laughs) I I am just not going to get off the 90s tonight. It was a TV uh, show, right? It was, yes. It it was on three different networks uh, in about twice as many years, I think. But aside from that, it just goes back to the short uh, Hollywood Steps Out, goes back to... A time when no one would doubt, within a second of seeing any of these caricatures on screen, whether or not that was James Cagney or anyone else.
0: Sure, yeah the, the art of craft the, the craftsmanship behind the pencil on these uh, caricatures are so specific and so intricate that you can pick up the flaws in the faces and like like it helps your eye recognize who they're who they're going after.
1: And it also, I think it helps just a little bit that back in the day, in the 40s and 50s, you still had a very massive range of different facial features and people who, in a lot of ways, wouldn't be considered conventionally attractive uh, in front of the camera. I mean, I won't say anyone specifically, Peter Lorre, (laughs) but I think that it was, you could really see that there were all these sorts of different shapes and sizes. The unfortunate uh, other side to that is that there is a lot of, there's not a lot of diversity to these early shoots. And when you do see uh, different uh, groups represented, like in the Coconut Grove or the Hollywood Picnic, it does revert to some of the problematic stereotypes that did exist at the period.
0: One of those being misogyny.
1: Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, you A lot of these bits and the ideas behind them were very problematic. Uh, you have a very classic bit where Harpo Marx, uh, one of his main uh, social and comedic cues was whenever an attractive woman walked across stage or walked across the screen, she would immediately run away from him and he would chase after her. Not in like a coy or random way, but it very much uh, contributed to this idea of the Marx Brothers as living cartoons. I think that a lot of the Looney Tunes characters, obviously Bugs Bunny with his satiric wit, uh, Pepe Le Pew with his running after women, a lot of this stuff, it gets back to the sort of classic vaudeville you got from the Marx Brothers and from... You know, classic comedians, uh, physical comedy with Harold Lloyd and Charlie Chaplin and the sort of knockabout crosstalk stuff you could get with Abbott and Costello, the famous, you know, Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Rabbit Season, Duck Season. It's just a fantastic echo of these very classic bits that had been done in vaudeville way before they navigated onto the silver screen, and that's only after you had this fantastic age of silent comedies and silent dramas based completely on expressions and movement,
0: and that's another reason why I wanted to highlight Hollywood in these classic cartoons because we wouldn't have these characters uh, as we know them today. And obviously, they can be you know evolving and they they can change uh, with time. But you have the shell of what makes Bugs Bunny Bugs Bunny, and that is Humphrey Bogart's like confidence, and that is his. Um, uh, the Frank Capra character from It Happened One Night, uh, played by Peter Warren, who's munching on car- our carrots by the road- roadside, and like uh, he has this quick wit about him, and he's like nonstop talking. Like you, you have these little elements from those movies that they molded into their own character, and it evolved into something that we know as Bugs. Um, and as you, you're saying with Pepe, like you have a. a, a actor's performance that was of its time translated into a really funny skunk who is attracted to cats
1: yes which (laughs) is a mistaken identity you could make of that all sorts of different things but there's there are very clear through lines to the kinds of performances and obviously looney tunes was entirely focused on comedy but there was such a deep wellspring of different sorts of comedy to draw from from that period that you really did have all these fantastically different characters. And I think it's one of the reasons that Hollywood Steps Out works is because a lot of the same kind of comedy, the sort of physical and the uh, satirical comedy that was so present in 1940s acting and in the Looney Tunes and animated shorts themselves is represented by the the films of that same age.
0: Exactly. And you even get the Three Stooges in there. They have shout-outs to every little comedy group uh, in a a little snippet.
1: They did. They have have Laurel uh, dancing with the two women because he's too fat to dance with one woman. You have uh, not just the Three Stooges doing their iconic uh, poke in the eye, knock on the head to the conga beat.
0: Right, and slap in the face.
1: And slap in the face. I, I can't forget the slap in the face. Obviously, How could you? Uh, well, then, what are, we, are you going to give me? A, oh, there we go. And um, but you also have some pretty next level humor in that you've got uh, George Raft, Humphrey Bogart, and James Cagney making fun of their gangster characters by you know having this huddled crime conference. And then basically playing a children's game immediately afterwards. Exactly. So they did, it was the beginning of something very cool in that they were able to acknowledge that these were iconic, very larger than life actors and characters, but they also were willing to like sort of cross the line and have a little fun with them and say that this isn't actually, like the characters on the screen aren't actually who they are and I think it was one of Humphrey Bogart's favorite things to sort of cast a side-eye at these larger-than-life characters that he would portray on screen and that he was very much more of the introverted sort of uh, person.
0: Well, that makes sense. I mean, you never want to be pigeonheld to a certain type of person in public. No. know that you are portraying on screen and i would be remiss if i didn't bring up that bugs regularly repeats groucho's line from the 1933 satire duck soup of course you realize this means war
1: i think i've heard that somewhere uh even earlier on this particular show
0: exactly that's uh you gotta call out the the uh, lineage but um you know uh hollywood has had its impact on these characters, and we could go on for days talking about the influences, uh, which one day we will, but not today. Uh, We are going to stay focused. We are going to keep going, uh, and using Humphrey Bogart as our leaping-off point, we are going to discuss the 1995 uh, short that played in front of Pebble and the Penguin called please play it for me
1: of all the juice joints it is crazy, don't you? It
0: is crazy yeah yeah hill of, greens, hill of greens we know gotta go gotta go Carrot
1: fantastic short I mean it really is one of the modern uh, iterations of a classic that's done with so much literacy and appreciation for the original source material I think my favorite moment in the entire thing is when uh, Kitty and Daffy Duck, who are playing the Ingrid Bergman and Sam, the iconic Sam character from Casablanca, do the play it for me, play it one time, consistently misconstrued as play it again Sam, which is never in the actual story of Casablanca, and she eventually gets Daffy Duck to play And on the first note he plays, Bugs jumps all over and saying, I thought I told you never to play that. Which is a joke that only works if you are totally aware of that exchange and you're waiting for the Bugs reaction and it happens so quickly and way too fast. And I really like it because it does use the source material and it assumes that you've seen... Not only Casablanca, but probably a few parodies of it because it's such an iconic movie and it's been parodied so many times.
0: Exactly. And it's that parody that is so well done here, especially where even if you're a kid, you think it's funny, even if you don't know what the context is. And if you do know the context, it's even funnier. And if you haven't watched Casablanca, highly recommend it and then watch carrot blanca and then you'll pick up on these nuances that they have and obviously like the iconic lines that they have that are undercut by comedy there's the scene where Bugs is telling Kitty bye and she won't amount to a hill of beans and Sylvester breaks in and goes, hill of greens, hill of greens, we know, we gotta go.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, it, it has so much fun with the fact that it's so it's such a well-known piece of material. I actually had so much fun coming back and revisiting this because it's honestly, it's been at least a decade since I've thought about this one in particular. Oh, same. But I definitely saw it when I was a kid. I remember so many of the over-the-top reactions and the she did it, she did it, Hillegreens, uh, Hilligreens, Hilligreens, uh <laughs> we know about it. And one of the things I loved about revisiting this short after so much time is kind of second-guessing everything. Like when Sylvester walks in playing the Paul Henri role, I thought to myself, well, why didn't they put Pepe Le Pew in there and then when Pepe comes in ten seconds later, I thought, oh, of course, because he's Inspector Renault, and that's the most inspired piece of casting in the <laughs> short. Because he's he's perfect. He's a lascivious, uh, sybaritic, corrupt official, which is, of course, what uh, Pepe Le Pew would be. Of course. Uh, in the...
0: In the world of Cosmo? In the North African
1: (laughs) version of the Looney Tunes. (laughs) But overall, and it's perfect. Uh, Yosemite Sam, as a fascist, has all sorts of fantastic undertones to it. It's got a... Especially today. It's... (laughs) Not
0: to get political, but whoa. Well,
1: it's got a fantastically joking ending, but it really is just a... It's a celebration and a satire at the same time. I think that there's a very Mel Brooks quality to it where it's Mm. only someone who absolutely loves the original source material can lampoon it in such a uh, a phenomenal way. I I really think it's true. In an admiring way.
0: yeah. I would agree with that. I never put Mel Brooks with this short, but you hit the nail on the head with that. That is a fantastic comparison.
1: I think it's the way that he, you know, he does parodies of stuff like Robin Hood and Star Wars in Robin Hood Men in Tights and uh, Spaceballs.
0: And the Looney Uh, Tunes are really good about adapting those types of new comedy styles into their shorts. Um, And this is a perfect example. Those were the hit of the days like uh, Robin Hood Men and Tights had come out what five years before this, like around 1990?
1: Yeah, yeah. It uh, the thing I think one of the things the reasons that we have new Looney Tune shorts even today is that these are characters that you can graft almost any kind of archetypical character or pop culture hit or you know new idea onto. And while still maintaining that sort of core level of comedy, I mean, if you could take it all the way back to the sort of archetypical characters you'd see in Shakespeare or something like that, but I'm sure that's a completely different episode.
0: We will get there. Okay. I really, I really I, want to do Shakespeare and Looney Tunes.
1: That I honestly I I want to show up if just to listen to that one because <laughs> that sounds that that sounds like a really fun one.
0: I I will try to uh, have you in here for when we have that discussion on Shakespeare. But first, we are going to talk about the new characters in the World of Mayhem, which are directly from that short we were just discussing, Carrot Blanca. We have, and I will go through these individually because there are three. This is the first campaign where we've ever had three new characters, which I'm really excited about. Uh, Kitty Kete. That is the Penelope. Yes,
1: this is the uh, Looney Tunes interpretation of the Ingrid Bergman character, uh, the one that uh, classically drives Humphrey Bogart to drink and drives Bugs Bunny to the carrot juice. <laughs> uh,
0: to the carrot juice, <laughs> such a. Because of, of
1: course it's a juice <laughs> joint that she walks into. It. Uh, it's a classic.
0: Of course. Uh, so she is an epic character and she is a supporting role uh, who lives in the WB Studios at the Café Olé American. Uh, she has a friendship with all Bugs Bunny tunes and a skill, uh, friendship skill with all outlaws. Um, her skill set includes wrathful appeal, tearful appeal, sway the room, desperate whack, claws out and natural gifts which I believe she has. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So that is that is a really fun character and I'm really glad that we are getting something so directly pulled from the Looney Tunes canon into the game like that's really exciting. Um, The next character we have is Sylvester Slazlo uh, as you were remarking about earlier, um, he is a rare character. His role is that of attacker. He also lives at the WB Studios and has a rivalry with all Bugs Bunny tunes. Because why wouldn't he have... Anything but.
1: <laughs> it's a fun interpretation. You don't usually see them as, as direct rivals, but I, I like that this is one of the shorts where Bugs and Daffy are friends, if like kind of grudging friends.
0: That is true. Never thought of that. So his skill sets include the dual takedown, solidarity strike, incendiary sabotage. That's fun to say. Insurgent, on the lamb, and cloak and dagger. And last but not least, we have Mr. Bugs. (laughs) Mr. I'm-too-cool-for-school-but-really-sad-and-depressed-because-he-lost-the-woman-of-his-life.
1: Classic trope.
0: Classic trope. Uh, He is a rare character as well, a defender in the WB Studios. And he has a friendship with all Penelope tunes and a rivalry with all Sylvester tunes. His skill set, get this, sympathetic blow hero's imposition, enable the escape, wounded heart. Here's looking at you, aggressive protector.. <laughs> so that is quite a wide range of abilities and attacks that they all have. and I think combined that would be, well, that would be a formidable team.
1: Sounds like a bunch of fun additions, even taken individually.
0: And the character designs on these are phenomenal. I cannot throw it out to the design team uh, over at Scopely enough. Everyone that works on these, they did an impeccable job.
1: As I, it's a fantastic bunch of artwork.
0: It is. So moving on, we are now going to throw it over to our old friend at Acme. Acme, it's where you buy your anvils.
1: Hello! Have you ever been in a conversation where someone else has gotten one over on you? Have you thought of the perfect quip or rejoinder days or even weeks afterwards? Well, fear no more. Your friends at Acme, the American company, are here to help with the Acme Requipper, an individualized time machine built specifically so you can travel back in time and get in that remark just in time.
0: Hello, sir. I have been questioning my relationship with my friend ever since this joke went terribly bad, and I would like a, a do over. Can I try out your Requipper? No
1: problem into the box with you, young man. Oh it's a box? boy oh, this is this is
0: tiny. Oh what's happening
1: And then I said that's what she said.
0: No that's not what she said.
1: Did you just travel back in time?
0: why, why did you use that ah, for this? Ah. Ah. Thank you, Acme. I needed that. Yes.
1: The one-time machine designed specifically and only so that you can convince yourself that you are the cleverest person who ever lived.
0: All right, and uh, thank you for that. Uh, that Acme commercial was uh, pretty weird. Uh, you, yeah, uh,
1: I really uh, let my hair down on that one, which which is a joke that you can't get because you can't see me. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much, uh, Matt Jacobs, for being on this <laughs> wonderful podcast. No,
1: it's been a laugh and a half. I've had a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> I wish we had more time. Um, next time we will, we'll go, we'll do a Barn Burger. We'll have it go all night.
1: Fantastic. Uh,
0: so, is there anything you want to plug, or are there any recommendations or movie recommendations you want to give to our dear listeners? Uh, I would
1: actually recommend uh, the Criterion channel. It's a streaming service that uh, has a ton of fantastic old movies and foreign films that you can check out. It's got a lot of really underrated and lesser known older stuff that is just really a blast to check out. So if you have a parent with a birthday coming up or a cinephile in your life, consider grabbing a subscription for them just so that they can uh, enjoy some of the old classics.
0: That is a wonderful recommendation, and thank you for bringing that up. Uh, I have many Criterion films in my collection, but I do not have the streaming service, so uh, I might look into that, because there are many out there.
1: Would recommend.
0: For sure. Uh, well, thank you for listening. You can follow the podcast on This Means Pod on Twitter and This Means Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. I've been your host, Jonathan Graves. You can follow me at The Dark Pilgrim on Twitter. And that's, that's not, not all, all folks. folks. Pardon me, but could you help out a fellow American who's down on his luck? Hit the road!